Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning. Great to have you here today, whether you're here in Auditorium 1 or Auditorium 2 or joining us on a screen somewhere. So glad that you are here. We're in a series of messages that we're calling Sunday Drive, and uh, we are taking a look through this series at what it means to slow down a little bit and take a good look at your life. A Sunday Drive slows you down enough to think about what it is that drives you. And as we look at these things, we're doing this by going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is where we'll be. Have you ever had somebody start a conversation with you where they say, well, I've got good news and I've got... Okay, you know how that goes, right? Some conversations start that way. Wife came home and her husband was there and he said, well, honey, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And she said, well... Give me the bad news first. And he said, well, the washing machine is broken. And she said, well, what's the good news? And he said, well, the dogs are clean. (laughs) Okay, that's not good. Don't do that. Don't do that. But there's also a guy was watching the game, and his wife had been to the store, and she came home, and and she she was in the kitchen, and he ran out during a commercial, like, to get some snacks. And she said, well, honey... I've got good news and I've got bad news. And he looked at her and said, baby, the the game's on. I don't have a whole lot of time. Can you just jump right to the good news? She goes, well, the airbags work. (laughs) Oh, okay. So like, you know those conversations, right? I got good news. I got bad news. Today, for you, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which do you want first? Well, good, because you're getting the bad news first. Turn with me. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse one. Here's the bad news. Remember, we we believe that this is King Solomon who's writing this, right? He refers to himself throughout the book of Ecclesiastes as the teacher. So we'll call him both today. Sometimes we'll call him the teacher. Sometimes we'll call him Solomon. And he's writing this. Ideally, we think he's writing this as an older man to a younger audience to help them to understand what what is the real meaning of life. Ultimately, he's helping them to understand some of the questions and the twists and turns in life. What is life really all about? What difference does it really make? And as he writes this, he says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. There's the bad news. Like in that verse, he gets real heavy real quick, and he talks about this subject, and we'll look at it from a couple of different angles today, but the subject of oppression. And as you look at that verse, I want to give you three pieces of bad news that we see there. There's three pieces of bad news that you can pull out of that verse. Here's the first one. Number one is that life is unfair. True or false? (laughs) Have you seen that? Life is unfair. There are so many things that happen in our lives that we just look at and we just say, well, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not how it should be. Life is unfair. And he, he points this out because he talks about the oppression that comes to people, the things that he saw in life that he looked at. And he said, that is just not right. See, sometimes life is unfair. Sometimes it feels like there is some force, there is someone who is out to get you, there was a lady who recently sued her neighbors in the nation of Australia, and she took them to court because she wanted to convince the judge that her neighbors had a plot against her. Her plot that she had devised that they had against her was that they were barbecuing in their backyard because she was a vegan. And her complaint was, I just smell fish. I smell their fish. She also complained because their kids played basketball in the front yard, right? Right. <laughs> So this lady had all these ideas that these people were out to get her. I'm not so sure. The courts threw her case out, not once, but twice. But her complaint really isn't that far from the truth for many of us, though, that life is unfair. Things happen that shouldn't happen. Last week, when we were in chapter 3, one of the verses that we, that we kind of passed over refers to this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. Look what Solomon said. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. 
He says, look, in the very places where you should have justice and where you should have righteousness, instead, you know what we're finding? We're finding wickedness. Why? Because life's unfair. One of the things that, and he uses this word oppression here, one of the things that our sinful fallen world is marked by, and let's just, let's just kind of put that out there so we're all kind of on the same page. Like we realize we live in a world that's imperfect, right? And we live in a world that because of sin, because of man's disobedience and separation that, that we've put between us and God, we live in an imperfect fallen world. And one of the things that happens in our world is there are abuses of power. Like we see it in the headlines all the time. We live in a world where people want to get more, and so they use the power that they have. They take advantage of other people. On top of that, there's things that that just don't even make sense. There's natural disasters. There's injustices. And then there's the way we treat each other, abuse, racism, lies, the pain we cause. And sometimes we just look at what's going on in the world, and we go, look, there's no rhyme or reason to any of this. And Solomon says, yeah, tell me about it. Like it puts him in a deep place of despair that we see in this passage because number one life's unfair and then here's the second thing that i think he really shows us number two life's hard like it's difficult like he twice he says it at the end of of verse one he says it for effect he says there is no comforter for them he says they have no comforter in the midst of their tears in the midst of their pain they have no comforter and then track with me here for a moment Then, in verses 2 and 3, he says what's on his mind. You ever do that? Do you ever have a moment where your emotion kind of gets the most of you? Especially if you've ever been in a place where you've been offended by someone to the point that you'd call it oppression. Or if you're dealing with, with pain or hurt or disappointment, you got bad news places where there's natural disaster, however you want to say it, in these moments when life gives us things that we say are unfair, that we say are hard, we respond sometimes with words that just convey what's in our heart. Look at what he says, verse two. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is under the sun. What a way to start October. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's heavy. In fact, part of, part of, part of the struggle is the, like we're, we're working our way through parts of Ecclesiastes, and you get to a couple of verses like this, and you're quick to kind of go, man, I, I could just skip right over these because they're a little bit of a downer, and they're a little tricky to understand. And yet, isn't this life, though? That sometimes you just go, look, life's hard. And what he's saying here is just something really honest. What it, when he says that the dead are happier, if you really put that in the context and look at the language and what he says there, he's actually saying, I want to congratulate those who have died because they don't have to deal with the garbage that I have to deal with. Even more, it's probably better off if you've just never been born. See, Solomon, the teacher, is overwhelmed by the oppression that he sees in the world. He says, life's hard And understand what this is not. When he says that, it's not a death wish. It's not permission to live a a life that's morbid. It's not a suicide note. He's being honest. And he's saying sometimes life doesn't make sense. Have you ever been there? You just kind of look and go, this just is not making sense to me. Here's why. Three, three, Three pieces of bad news I've got for you. One, life is unfair. Two, life is hard. Number three, life is messy. Like sometimes life is just messy and there are no easy answers. Sometimes we want to skip over passages of scripture like this because they're uncomfortable. Like, and we go, why would he say such a thing? Why would he congratulate the dead for not having to deal with, that's terrible. And yet he's just speaking out of his honest emotion. And we'll show you in just a minute when he gets to chapter 12, he's able to make sense out of it all. But sometimes when life's just out of control, when it doesn't make sense, when the world seems to be spinning around us, we need some help to put things back into perspective. But life is messy sometimes and we don't get it. If you don't think that's true, look at what happened at the airport in Chicago just recently. Have you seen this? Watch this video clip. This is one of those carts that delivers the, um, the beverages to the airplane. And it looks just like that. And... Um, I'm going to have to reenact it for you here in just a minute. There it is. Okay, why, did anybody see this? 
What happened was they had a case of water and it slid down and hit the, the gas pedal on that cart. It's spinning out of control until, watch this. Come on. Let's hear it for Jorge. That's that guy's name who saved the day. No, you can clap for him. That's all right. He, he, he saved the day. Six of you are thrilled with that. And uh, what happened was, you know, that thing's just spinning around and life was out of control. And it's just an interesting piece of news that makes me go, I can relate to that. Anybody? <laughs> Where you felt like, man, what a mess. The psalmist said that. Psalm 73, verse 16. And looking at the world around him, he said, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. There are no easy answers to pain and oppression in this life. In fact, only a, a time and a point where we have to say, look, I just don't get it. There's no easy answer to the pain and oppression in this life. And look, let's just be honest. Some of you can really relate to this passage because of the place where you're at, whether it's because you were offended, whether it's because of, of some oppressive person in your life, or maybe because of situations that have come your way that feel very heavy, feel very burdensome, feel very difficult. You know what it's like. You, you've shed tears like Solomon has in this passage. You've lost things. You know what you're going through. You know the bad news you've heard. You've experienced heartbreak, either because of people who have let you down or dreams that didn't come true, and at some point you have to ask the question, now what do I do? We're, we're fortunate that we get perspective from the life of the teacher in Ecclesiastes. In chapter four, his, his, his gut check response is to look at the oppression and go, I just can't deal with it. I just don't know that I can live through this. By the time we get to chapter 12, that's all balanced out for him. And he's reached a point of, of greater understanding for us. And this is what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. He brings it back. He says, look, I have to put my trust in God and I have to believe that even the things that I don't understand, God's gonna make them right. right. Now, like, like put, a, put a bookmark there, because that's what hints us to the good news. That even in those moments of despair, we come down to a place where we're able to say, God, I trust you, I put my confidence in you, and I believe that you're going to work this out. That's, that's a hint at the good news. See, the Bible offers us good news to counter the bad news. It gives us the opportunity to see that the Bible offers us good news to counter the bad news. And in just a moment, we're gonna to go to the, the book of Romans chapter eight, and we're gonna look at a very similar passage in the New Testament that gives us perspective on the bad news by offering some good news. But before we go there, I wanna just push a pause between the bad news before we get to the good news. And I wanna talk about this idea of oppression. And maybe even more than this idea of oppression, I felt like maybe it was good for us to talk about oppressors for a few moments. See, there, there's, there's this interesting point that's brought up in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse one, that for there to be oppression, someone has to be the oppressor. And when we think about that, we, we typically think about you know, someone who is a dictator over a country and is trying to rule their people with an iron fist. But go back to that passage. I, I want to share a little word to the oppressors here today. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. And I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. I want to break that down a little bit, and, and at the risk of maybe even offending some of you, I want you to ask the question, am I an oppressor? Like, ask that of yourself. Like, is there anything in you that has a, 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 an ability to oppress other people? Because oppressors have a lack of regard for others, right? This passage says that there were tears of the oppressed, and someone who is an oppressor has a lack of regard for others, that they, they dismiss other people. If you exploit others' weaknesses for your own strength and benefit, then maybe that's oppressive. If you're quick to dismiss your coworkers because they do not serve your purpose in the moment, 
If you ignore the needs of others in your home in order to do what you want and get what you want, then maybe there's some reflection that needs to happen. Oppressors have a lack of regard for others, and oppressors abuse their power. They take power that's been given to them, and they abuse it in the lives and relationships with other people. It says in this passage that power was on the side of the oppressor. And we can probably think about that in in things that are in the headlines. We can probably think about that in situations in history with evil dictators. But the reality is it happens all the time in so many different situations where one person uses their power over another person to hurt that person. Sometimes I even think we're unaware of how our attitudes and our actions hurt other people. And if you're prone to manipulate other people to get your way, you might want to think about how that affects others. Honestly, This really matters because what happens is we can at times when we get in a place, and we'll see this later in the book of Ecclesiastes, but when we get in a place where our focus is on what we want, we can have a tendency to in the end, in in, in the hopes of getting what we want, we can end up making a mess of somebody else's life. And we have to be aware of that. And the Bible takes this really seriously. Like, think about this. There are times when we do what we want, we end up making a mess of somebody else's life. Did you know that September 21st is considered International Coastal Cleanup Day? September 21st, International Coastal Cleanup Day. How many of you are excited to hear that now? Several of you are marking that on your calendar right now. Most of you, it doesn't mean a thing. But it meant a thing to a mayor in in a place called Jindo County in South Korea that has a beautiful beach. And he decided that it was a great opportunity for him to gain some support and for them to have a neat community opportunity. They had 600 people sign up to come out and clean up the beach on September 21st for International Coastal Cleanup Day. The problem was that when they went out to check out the beach beforehand, there really wasn't any trash out there. It was already clean. So he ordered that several tons of garbage be brought out and dumped on the beach so people would have something to clean up. Afterwards, he realized what a genius move that was and apologized, but in a moment where he wanted to get the affirmation that he wanted, in a moment where he wanted to be the person that he wanted other people to think he was, in a moment of his own desires, he ended up making a mess for everybody else. Now, you can laugh at that story and go, what a goofy thing to do until we stop and think about the things that we do in our lives in those moments where we may take advantage of another person. How do we see that played out? Well, we we absolutely see it on a global scale. There are whole nations of people who live in cultures of poverty and corruption because of oppression. The refugee crisis in our world right now, in, in this past June, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees declared a record high 70.8 million people who were displaced in the last year. Those are staggering numbers. And yet we see it in our culture. We we see these places all the time where people are mistreated because of the power that others have over them. And it plays out in areas in the workplace, in race and ethnicity and age and gender. And the truth is, as Christians, we are called, and there's passages all throughout the Old and New Testament where we are called to be people of justice. And so if there are places that you can do something as a believer, the reality is that we should do something. But can I honestly make it just a little more practical? Now, we don't necessarily think of oppression in some of these places, but I can tell you the places where I often see that people use their power over someone else or they try to manipulate someone else or in a certain sense, they are having a way where they are um, hurting someone in these different ways that maybe we just got to call oppression. Look, Look, I see it all the time in marriages where spouses speak harsh words to one another instead of words of life where they choose to deceive and mistreat each other to get their way. And actually, the Bible's really serious about that. If you go to the end of Ephesians chapter five, Paul's command to us is, husbands, you are to love your wives, and wives, you are to respect your husbands. There is this concept of mutual submission to each other, of respect and love, and of bringing life to each other. And when we trespass that, there are times when we have literally oppressed our spouse by the way that we've treated them. And I can tell you, that's not just a physical or a relational thing. The Bible says that's a spiritual thing. 1 Peter chapter 3 says that husbands, when you fail to treat your wife with gentleness and respect, it puts up a hindrance and a block to your prayers. 
So the way that we treat our spouses literally has a spiritual component to it that can hinder God's blessing in our lives. So maybe we need to step back and think about that. The, the other place where, where I see this kind of on a regular basis is with parents and their kids. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I, I think that's a command not just to dads, it's to moms and dads, not to provoke your children to anger. Look, I'm going to guess that for some of you, especially if Christ has done a, a changing work in your life, there are places where maybe you can look back and you have some regrets about the ways in which you parented your children. And maybe some words that were spoken or actions that were done that if you, if you look and you're honest with yourself have had a negative impact on your kids. Parents of adult children, I would encourage you, if the Holy Spirit opens up the opportunity and leads you to, it may be that it's right for you to speak a word, not just of affirmation to your children, but to ask for their forgiveness, to apologize for things that happened in the past and say, look, because of Christ's work in my life, there's something different inside of me and I need to ask for your forgiveness for this relationship to move on because that could be a door for great healing. Can you see that? Look, because this is an important thing for us to consider, the way that our words affect other people. If you are a parent who has young children in your home, and I think this is true for grandparents who have voices of influence in your children's lives as well, I would encourage you, do not minimize. Look, I see it all the time in the lives of adults. Do not minimize the effect that you as a parent or as a grandparent have in the development of the life of your child. A couple of thoughts. Be careful that your dysfunction does not go on to the next generation. And be committed to say, look, there needs to be a change through what Christ can do in our home. Love your kids. Speak words of life to them. Yes, discipline them, but do it with grace and truth. Nurture them to be the person that God has created them to be. Give them a place where they know healthy boundaries that create stability, biblical grace that gives them forgiveness and unconditional love that lets them develop a healthy identity of who they are and who God created them to be as his son or daughter. Look, you have the opportunity to speak those words of life and to make that difference because when you do that, it changes the destiny of those that are in your home. This matters. And look, while, while we're here and while this is heavy and before you fall asleep, let me drop one other thought. Look, it's, it's not right. As much as there should not be stories of power struggles and manipulation and people taking advantage of one another in marriages and families, that really shouldn't happen in churches. And yet it does. And some of you have known the, the, the pain and the disappointment of experiencing some kind of offense or even oppression at the hand of a church leader in a, in a church. And let me just say this to you. I, I don't know what you experience, but some of you have very real hurts and pains because of that. From God's perspective, that was wrong. And on behalf of the church of Jesus Christ, I think it's important for you to know that we are sorry that that happened to you. Not in some kind of minimizing, let's sweep it under the rug kind of I'm sorry. But when Peter wrote to the shepherds, the ones who were to be pastors in 1 Peter chapter 5, one of the things that he says to them is that they are to not pursue dishonest gain, but that they should be eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, the reality is there are no perfect churches. Church leaders are human, and especially pastors. If you don't believe it, ask my family, right? <laughs> But here's the reality. I don't, I don't say that to be an excuse, but it's important for you to acknowledge that it was a person that hurt you or that maybe it was a system that hurt you, but it was not God that hurt you. That's, that's, that's important. It was not God that hurt you. We are the church of Jesus Christ, but that does not mean that he's always pleased with how we behave. Here's what I watch a lot of times happen. When people get hurt in a relationship, then they push all other relationships away. 
or when people were wounded in their family, they can be quick to dismiss the whole idea of a healthy family. Or if someone has been hurt in a spiritual setting, they're quick to kind of cast a cloud over every other spiritual setting. And usually what that means is they don't just push the church away, that ultimately they push guess who away? God, which is interesting because if you have a disease, you've just pushed away the cure. And at some point, it's really important. And I speak specifically to those of you who maybe have an offense from a spiritual setting that you've carried for a long time. Please do not let your relationship with God be shaped by how you have been let down in your relationship with his people. There's a difference between the two. You can't judge a perfect God by an imperfect church. And we have to say, God, you are perfect. I put my trust and my confidence in you. Look, this, uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> look, this same thing carries over into the workplace, doesn't it? Like, especially if you are in a role of leadership where you have some supervisory role over other people. Here's what, what Paul writes, Ephesians chapter six, verse nine. Now he's writing this to those who own slaves, but this same concept transfers into our workplaces, masters, supervisors, Do the same to them, meaning those that are subordinate to you, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there's no partiality with him. What are you saying here? Treat people right. And some of you are like, boy, Gilligan, you got up on the wrong side of Ecclesiastes this week, didn't you? why, Why so heavy? Because this matters. And if you don't think that it matters, look, it matters to those who maybe your influence, and you might not even be aware of it, but moments and tendencies to take advantage of others or to to use others for your benefit in an unhealthy way, like those not only hurt other people, but if you are an oppressor in some way or another, listen to what Jesus said about that. Luke chapter 17, verse one. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Millstone would be placed, probably 1,000 pounds maybe, would be placed in this pit, and they put the grain in there, and in this, in this pit, It was like a circle around it, and they would use a series of harnesses and poles and stuff, and they would attach it to a donkey who would just walk round and round in circles. And as it did, it would take this heavy stone, and it would be used to grind down the the grain that was there in the pit. So what Jesus is saying is he would take this massive stone. It would be better for you that this massive stone would be placed around your neck, and you'd be tossed into Lake Erie than for you to offend someone that would cause them to stumble. Is that a big deal? So let me just put that little caveat on the bad news. Some of you know the bad news because of oppression. Others of you have experienced bad news and maybe, maybe you'd say just in a small way, maybe just in a, in a, in a, in a meaningless relational way, but it's because in moments you've had an opportunity to be the oppressor. Either way, let's, let's take a look at the good news. You ready for some good news? Okay, me too. Here's the good news. Remember what Solomon said to us. The teacher said, life is unfair. Life is hard. Life is messy. How does the Bible address those things? Look with me at Romans chapter eight because Paul is also talking to some people who know what it's like to face oppression. He's talking to people who are in a difficult time in their government and culture. They're in a difficult time because of their faith. They're in a difficult time because of trials that they face. But he gives to them three pieces of good news. We've got to balance out the three pieces of bad news, don't we? Three pieces of good news. Let's look. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, look, look at the image that he uses here. And remember this word where he uses this idea of groaning. Because what he's saying is just in the same way that there is pain and uncertainty 
and there is this frustration and expectation that comes in a moment of childbirth that makes it difficult. He says the world is in that same place. And there's an expectancy for what's on the other side of it, but it's difficult right now. It's painful and it's uncertain. That word groan is important here. Paul describes it much in the same way that you get the feeling when Solomon looks at this oppression that he sees and he says, you are in a difficult time. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet... Ooh, getting a little choked up there. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Watch his logic there. He says, yes, this groaning that creation is in says that life is hard. It is unfair at times. We live in a fallen world, but we are hoping for what is on the other side of that pain. That's what we're looking for because we have been adopted as sons. And why have we been adopted as God's sons? Because of the death and resurrection of who? Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. Number one, here's good news. Number one, Jesus gives us hope. That in those times when you are carrying offense, in those times when you feel the heaviness and oppression of life, what's at the core of this passage is that Jesus gives us hope. Now, here's the tricky part. Sometimes that sounds just like a feeling you're trying to sell. Or sometimes that sounds just like, hey, you're just trying to give me enough good news to get me out of here feeling good on Sunday. But does Jesus really know what I'm going through? Like, does he really have hope for where I am? In my oppression, in my groaning, in my difficulty, does he even really care? Watch this. Uh, uh, Mark chapter 7. Cool story here. Mark chapter 7, verse 32. It said that Jesus and his friends were traveling, and it says there, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked, watch this, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphtha, which means be opened in Aramaic. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak Plainly. Do you see that where it said that Jesus, as he's doing the miracle, goes through all these steps, and then it says he gives a deep sigh. Do you know why I give a deep sigh? Usually because you're bothering me. Anybody else? <laughs> all right, I'll do it. Uh, okay. I guess you've got to eat, right? I mean, that kind of thing. You know, that's not what Jesus is doing here. That word for deep sigh is the same word as in Romans chapter 8 for groan. Jesus isn't exasperated or fed up or frustrated with someone. His heart's breaking for the world. And he's thinking of this poor guy whose life has been ravaged because he lives in a sinful world. And before Jesus changes everything for him, he feels the weight of that dude's human condition. And before the miracle happens, Jesus goes, I want you to know this that Jesus knows the human condition. Like he knows your human condition and your pain and your oppression and your offense is not unknown to him. He knows what's going on and Jesus cares about the human condition and he knows what's going on in your life and he knows the pain that you're facing. And it is not just something that he doesn't care about, and it's not just something that he can't handle. He literally feels it with you to the point that when you sigh, he sighs. He wants to come alongside of you and give you hope. That's the first piece of good news that Paul gives to the church in in Romans. But watch what he says next. If you go back to Romans chapter eight, verse 26, he's told us there's hope. Then he says this, in the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless, what's that word there? We're coming back to that. Wrestling with that, uh, that oppression, wrestling with that frustration, wrestling with that despair. He intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Here's what he says there. He says, the Spirit comes alongside of you in the midst of your oppression, when you're dealing with offense, when you're struggling with things in life, the Holy Spirit is right there with you. I think there's an important word for us to consider. Number two, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Here's the second piece of good news. Now go back, go back. I know this seems like years ago, but go back to verse one in Ecclesiastes chapter four. We started there just mere moments ago. Do you remember what Solomon said? He said, I saw all this oppression and I said, they have no comforter. In fact, he said it twice. They have no comforter. Well, here's the good news. You have a comforter. John 14, 16 says that the Holy Spirit has been sent by Jesus to be your comforter, to be your advocate, your helper, your counselor, your comforter. That word means one who comes alongside and helps you, who gives you strength, who helps you to get out of the situations that you're in, who helps you to navigate and give you wisdom and decision. So in the place where you're at, whether it's in opposition or offense, the Holy Spirit can come right alongside of you and give you what you need. That is good news, isn't it? Like he's your comforter. Here's the problem. When was the last time you asked him to? Like when was the last time when you were looking out at the situation you're facing? That instead of being overwhelmed and maybe even saying, I don't even know that I can live through this. Instead, you said, Jesus, you're my hope. And Holy Spirit, I know with you I can walk through this. Because you're going to come right alongside of me. So I give this to you and I trust you in this. When I was putting this message together, I, I looked at these points and I was like, man, that's basic. Jesus is our hope. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Like if you've been around the church, you've heard this so many times that there's a good chance that it just goes right. I know that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Sometimes it's good for us to be reminded of the basics, isn't it? We've had for, man, I was trying to do the math, probably 16, 17 years. We have this like kind of little family tradition. Sundays is a busy day, as you can imagine, for our family with church and stuff. And so we kind of have this tradition for years from, since the time that our kids were little that on Sunday nights, when we're all done with the day and, and we're at home and it's time for dinner, we, we go all out and we have frozen pizzas for dinner every Sunday night. Yeah, we're bougie like that. Yeah, we have frozen pizza. Like that. And it's just, it's just kind of what we, what we do. The majority of Sunday nights, that's, that's our dinner. And I don't, I'm not the one that puts them in the oven all the time. Like, the different people do it at different times, but I've done it enough. I do it fairly regularly. I'm putting it in the oven. So, like, for, we're talking 15-plus years, majority of Sunday nights, on a regular basis, I'm going to put these frozen pizzas in the oven. And do you know what I have to do every single time? And we almost always have the same brand, and we almost always know what it is. You know what I have to do every single time? What do I set the oven to, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I got to look on the back of that box. What is it, 425, 350? I don't know. I have to look. I should know that. I should remember that. But every time, I have to be reminded of that. I have to go back to that information over and over again because that's the only way I'm going to be able to do this right. Can I tell you, it's easy to go, I know Jesus is my hope. I know the Holy Spirit is my comforter. But instead, it's good for you to be reminded that when you face a moment of opposition or when you're dealing with offense in your life, the best thing that you can do is to come to God and say, Jesus, I can't make sense out of this, but you're my hope. And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it through this, but Holy Spirit, I'll believe that you're gonna come alongside of me and be my comforter. And then watch this. I promise you three pieces of good news, right? So Romans chapter eight, Paul's writing to people in the midst of oppression, and he says to them, first, Jesus is our hope. Second, he says, the Holy Spirit is your comforter. And then watch what he says next, Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You ever heard that verse before? You ever seen that verse at Hobby Lobby before? 
right? We put that verse up all over the place. We repeat it over and over again. But do you understand better the context? Like Paul says to people in the midst of oppression, when Jesus is your hope and the Holy Spirit is your comforter, you can believe, number three, that God makes all things beautiful. That he's gonna come in and he's gonna work this out. I use the same language that we used last week. God makes all things beautiful. Do you remember that? Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. <clears throat> we talked about this last week, remember? That God has this vantage point that we don't have. And he can see things that we can't see. And we only, see, <clears throat> we only see things from a certain point of view, but God has the total view. The Bible says he sees it from beginning to end. And so he can see not only where you are now, but he can see how he's working this out. And he has promised that he will work all things together for good. And he has said that he will make everything beautiful in its time. So from the point of view where you're at right now, even if you can't see how any of this oppression or offense is gonna work out, from that point of view, you can know this, that God does the right thing at the right time. And that you can trust him, that you can put your hope in him. The problem is, and we already hinted at this, so many times in the midst of those moments of oppression or offense, our first, our first response, our, our default mode, is to actually push God away. You know what happens so many times when people go through tough times? They don't look to God. <laughs> they blame God. True? God, you broke this. God, you did this. God, you let this happen to me. God, you messed this up. And yet we've already answered that, haven't we? What did we see? That life is unfair, and life is hard, and life is messy. God didn't do that. That's because we live in a fallen world. That's because this world is imperfect. And I think this is critical for us to understand. God is not breaking the world. He's fixing the world. He's about the work of repairing what sin has broken. And he's starting in your heart, and he's starting in my heart, and he's doing it one heart at a time. And there's times when I go, enough already, God. Why don't you just fix it all? And he says, because I'm waiting patiently for more and more people to be right with me. If I just fixed it all right now, there are people who would still be lost. He says, but I'm waiting because I love them. Remember, we read that in Peter's letters a couple weeks ago. Reality is, God's not breaking the world. He's fixing the world. So the truth is, it's time for us to trust him, even in the moments when all you see is shadows. Like, I know for some of you, this is just an exposition of scripture. For others of you, though, you're at a place right now where you go, man, that is right where I'm living. I've been carrying this offense for far too long, or I'm in a situation that is bringing nothing but just some despair and oppression in my life. What am I supposed to do? Because right now, all it feels like I see are shadows. Like, I'd like a bright, sunny day, but it's not coming. In fact, if I'm honest with you, in fact, if I, if I get right down to it, I sometimes wonder if God's even there. Like, is there even any light at all? Because all I'm seeing is the shadows. God, I think, kind of brought to my mind a song by a band named Switchfoot, an old song, Switchfoot song. The title is The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. I thought, what an interesting thought, that the only reason that there are shadows is because there's a sun to begin with, right? You can't have a shadow without the sun. And I don't know why you're in those shadows right now, but you have to believe that on the other side of that, there is a sun that is shining. There is a hope you can hold on to. There is a comforter who will come alongside of you. And ultimately, ultimately, that there's a God who says, I'm gonna make everything beautiful in your life. That you don't get so much in despair in the shadows that you forget that there is a sunshine there that is shining down on you that can make all the difference as you put your hope in him. And so today, we wanna look at God's word like, isn't this the journey that the teacher in Ecclesiastes went through? At one point, he threw his hands up, and he said, look at this oppression. Look at this offense. I don't even know that I can live through it. But in the end, he was able to say, God, in the midst of this, I trust you. 
And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would today, whether you're here in Auditorium 1 or if you're watching in Auditorium 2. And we're going to sing again the song that we sang at the the beginning part of this service that says, Lord, I, I lay it all down. And we sing, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that in in whatever room that you're in, that as we sing this song, if if this was a moment, if God used this word to speak specifically to a situation in your life right now, that you wouldn't walk out of here and ignore it, but that you would respond to it. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat. If you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to respond and come and stand here at this altar. Now, look, I know that that requires a step of courage because you're in a room full of people and you're, and you're kind of stepping out and you're doing something in that moment. But here's what I believe. I believe that some of you are in the midst of such a situation that's oppressive to you that unless you take that step of faith today, you're not going to be able to see the hope on the other side. And to be quite honest, some of you have carried an offense for far too long. And whether that be with a spouse or with a parent or in a church or with a friend or just some random words that were spoken to you years ago, the longer you hold on to that offense and oppression, the longer it has a control and it's deteriorating your spirit. So for some of you, today is a day to say, Jesus, I'm going to give all of this to you because you're my hope. Holy Spirit, you're my comforter. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat. Now, you might say, can I just do it from where I am? And I suppose you can, but I honestly believe that sometimes a spiritual transformation requires a physical response. And that when you take that step of faith, God can use it. The other thing that we say to ourselves though is, but if I do that, won't people know that there's something wrong with me? Not in this place. In this place when you do it, we don't think something's wrong with you. We think, God, would you help everything to be right with them? It's a whole different perspective. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray. And then the team's going to lead us. And when I say amen at the end of this prayer, if you say, God, that I needed something out of that today because of an oppression, because of an offense, whatever it is, God, I need to leave this in your hands. Lord, I need to trust this situation to you today. Then I'm asking you not to hesitate, but just to step out of your seat and come and just stand down here. We'll pray together in just a moment, but let's, let's do this today. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. And I know that right now, your Holy Spirit's stirring in people's hearts some faith in Auditorium 1, Auditorium 2, people that are watching online, that in this moment, you are encouraging them that in the midst of their oppression, in the midst of the offense they've experienced, that today can be a day where they find hope and where they find healing. So in these next few moments, as we bring these things to you, God, would you do what only you can do in our lives? In Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you today, as we sing this song, would you step out of your seat and come and let's pray together. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Sing that again. Make that your prayer. Leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. As you come, if you move towards the center so we Take make room for our friends. burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the
Father, in this moment, we bring these things to you. Lord, you know that for some of us, words like life is unfair, or it's hard, or it's messy, just somehow seem to strike right at the place where we live right now. And Lord, you know exactly the, the things that are in our homes, or in our workplace, or in our families, or in our physical bodies, or, or in our hearts. God, you know those things that, that are oppressive to us. And yet, Lord, your word has said that in Jesus there is hope. And so, Father, I pray right now for those that are here at this altar, those that are standing, that have taken this step of faith. God, would you stir hope up in them today? Lord, would you stir something up in them to put a confidence and a trust to know that you are with them? Holy Spirit, would you come alongside of them and be that counselor, be that comforter, be that advocate, be the one that they can look to and trust in these moments? Lord, for some of us, what we're leaving here is an offense that came our, our way at the hand of some oppressor. God, maybe, maybe it's just happened recently or maybe we've carried this thing for years. But Lord, we're determining today that we're not gonna carry that thing anymore. Lord, that those words or that those actions, Lord, we lay them down to you today and we put them in your hands. And Father, in this moment, we're not sure how any of this can work out. Lord, we can't see in the natural anything beautiful here in some of these situations. But Lord, we know you have a vantage point that has a total view from beginning to end. And so we entrust these things to you. Lord, right now, would you stir up a work of, of confidence, a work of peace in our lives? Lord, and we trust that you're gonna work things for the good. God, that you're gonna make all things beautiful as we entrust these things to you. Lord, I pray your grace and your courage and your strength over those that are looking to receive it from you today. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? In Jesus' name. Hey, look, for those of you that are here at the front, I want you to know something. Like, this is not um, something that you just walk away from and go, well, that was a cool little emotional boost. And it's not just like, well, well, maybe I'll talk myself out of that. The reality is that today you put yourself in a position to believe that God is going to bring hope and that he's going to be your comforter and that he's going to walk out whatever it is that, that's happening in your life or that you've given to him. So don't let the enemy take that from you as you walk away from here. Does that make sense? Like you walk in what God is doing and he's pouring out in your life and believe that the God that gave hope before is gonna give hope to you again today. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks.